Welcome to Reporters Notebook. I'm Enrique Cerna of KCTS 9, and joining me is Crosscut City reporter David Croman, whose latest story examines the Seattle police shooting of Shea Taylor last February. David has obtained the entire dash cam video of the shooting and the police response afterwards. Well, let's go back to February and how this shooting incident happened. Shea Taylor was a, a guy who police knew who he was because he'd had a little bit of a criminal record, and so... They had gotten reports that he was seen with a gun or something like that. And so they'd been following him. He was um, a convicted felon. So. Yeah, he was a convicted felon. And and so they sort of had him on his radars. And so I, I guess they'd been following him up in North Seattle and sort of tracking his movements and decided to move in and make an arrest on him based on these reports that he'd had a gun because he's not supposed to. As police moved in, they say that he made a move for a gun in his car. And so two cops that were behind him as he was apparently reaching into his car, pulled the trigger. He was shot five times or seven shots, and he was hit five times, mostly in his back and his shoulder and his arms. Immediately after the the shooting, the Seattle Police Department released about a minute-long video of the shooting, which became the topic of pretty intense scrutiny with questions about whether they properly de-escalated the situation, why, if they felt like he was dangerous, they approached him in that sort of bum rush kind of um, happened very quickly. Happened very quickly. Why they approached him when he was behind a car, when he wasn't apparently in an immediate threat to anybody. That all said, uh, there was an internal investigation that found that the shooting was within protocol. So in obtaining the entire dash cam video, how did you go about doing that and why? So even after the Seattle Police Department declared that it was uh, within protocol, uh, King County Executive Dow Constantine ordered an inquest into the shooting, which is, is sort of a way to further examine the circumstances and causes of his death. It's actually relatively standard when it comes to police officer shootings. Now that that has sort of begun, a lot more evidence and documents and longer portions of the video were turned over to the people involved in that inquest. And so, you know, a source had mentioned to me that this was out there and that if I made a request to the prosecutor's office that I might be able to get it pretty easily. Because if you try and go to the Seattle Police Department, public records requests can take months. Um, But this actually happened within a matter of just a few days. And so they provided me with, beyond just the minute footage, about an hour's worth of footage from that same dash cam. You looked at this, and actually you and I looked at it together. Right. And... As we were looking at this, one of the things that did stand out right away was the fact that uh, after after the shooting, the length of time it took for Shay Taylor then to get medical assistance. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, it's such a it's such a tricky thing for a lot of people to wrap their heads around because Shay Taylor did have a criminal history, um, but th- that shouldn't matter in that situation because uh, you know whatever judgments the system wants to pass on who Shea Taylor was or what he did or what he deserved or anything like that. None of those are supposed to happen on the street. And so regardless of his history, after he was shot, one would expect that the officers would quickly convert into sort of first aid mode. Or as former Seattle police chief Norm Stamper told me, you go from taking a life to saving a life. And so, you know, immediately after the shooting, there were a couple other passengers in the car and so, you know, it's, it's totally standard protocol for a police officer to secure the scene before attending to any victims. And no one disputes that. 
So, you know, one example that the Seattle Police Department gave me was if you go into an active shooter scene, you're going to find the active shooter before you attend anyone who's been shot. And that makes a lot of sense. And so there were about a minute, there's about a minute and a half, two minutes after the shooting when the cops were clearly doing that. They were making sure that the people in the car were not posing any threat. They pulled them out of the car, they arrested them, they pulled them away. But after that, you know, it, 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 you start to wonder at what point you can call this scene secured. The police officers, in fact, didn't didn't uh, attend to uh, Mr. Taylor. I mean, they didn't seem to think that he was that much of a threat. People were occasionally turning his, their backs on him. But after they made the arrests of the passengers in the car, there was about five more minutes in which Shea Taylor was lying with his stomach on the ground. Um, about three of those minutes, he was actually in handcuffs when nobody was administering first aid. And the, the officers are trained to administer first aid. They should know CPR. They know how to tie a tourniquet. They should know how to apply dressing that can stop gaping wounds. But none of that was happening. Is there a, a protocol of some sort in a situation like this that where they should be then trying to save the life of this person, even though he was a suspect in whatever the situation was, try to save his life. Right. The, so the Seattle Police Officer's Manual, under their use of force section, says, when reasonable, apply first aid, even if it's somebody that you yourself have shot. You see this pop up a lot in police policy, especially the most controversial policies, this word reasonable. It, it opens – it makes it very flexible what reasonable exactly means. You know, in this situation, reasonable, the assumption is it means when there's no longer an imminent threat. So obviously you're not going to try and get, deliver first aid to somebody who's pointing a gun at you, even if they're injured. And so because of that, you know, there's not really any standard or any sort of necessarily punishment you can give to a police officer for not immediately administering first aid because sort of like um, some of the laws around prosecuting a police officer for using force in the first place, an officer can almost always say, I feared for my life and therefore I did not do that. And it would be very, very hard to prove that that officer did not necessarily fear for their life. Did they immediately handcuff him after he was done? It wasn't immediate. It was a couple minutes. So they, the, the, Shooting happened, then there's about a minute and a half or two minutes where they're arresting the other two people in the car. And then another maybe minute and a half or two minutes pass before they, you know, quote, secure him or arrest or uh, handcuff him. Um, you know, it was interesting in the video, though, they seem to forget about him actually for a couple minutes. And then somebody asks, wait, is he, is he secure? And you can hear someone say no. And th at that point, they say, well, we should, we should secure him. And that's the point when they handcuff, handcuff. him. It's, it's a little hard to tell exactly when he's handcuffed because he's behind this car. Right. But you can see somebody get down, sort of, it looks like put a knee into his back, and it looks like secure handcuffs on him. At the very least, there's about three minutes where he's handcuffed, and there are two, sometimes three officers standing over him with, a gun, with guns pointed at him. And at that point, you know, I, it's, a, it's sort of hard to argue that he poses any immediate threat to anyone around him. If he's on his stomach, he's been shot five times. There are multiple officers pointing their shotguns and rifles, not these are big guns. Right. You know, it would take something pretty incredible for that to still pose a threat. And 
some some people see about five minutes of the scene as you know quote secure and therefore when officers should have been giving him first aid but there's three minutes especially where it'd be pretty hard to argue that Shea Taylor was posing any threat and therefore it would be pretty hard to argue against administering first aid to him. Overall, they end up calling the fire department. And they do that pretty quickly. You can yeah. hear that almost within the first minute of the shooting that fire is on the way. So right. to their credit, 911 was called very, very quickly. And But it did take probably, what, eight minutes or so? Yeah, it's about eight. Actually, before they got there and they started treating him. Yeah, it's about it's seven and a half minutes by the time the paramedics actually show up with a gurney. And then it's about... 11 minutes total by the time he is on the gurney and wheeled out. And it's still unclear as to whether he died at the scene mm-hmm. or later at Harborview. Yeah, he was declared dead at Harborview, but you know, only a doctor can pronounce death and there was no doctor at the scene, so it's um hard to know exactly where he died. You can there's a few sort of slips in the video where you can hear at least on one occasion an officer s- refer to him as the deceased before quickly correcting himself. Um, you know, I don't know if that officer that you can overhear actually knew anything, but um, to me that says that the injuries were significant enough that people on the scene were starting to assume that he was going to die. And that also might explain why there wasn't necessarily an urgency to administer first aid. Not that it excuses it, but offers some amount of explanation. His brother, Andre uh, Taylor, who will back into the Seattle area and has also started an initiative effort uh, to try to deal with this issue of whether an officer had malice and proving malice in a shooting. Mm-hmm. Have you talked to him since you saw the video? And I, I haven't. I'd been talking with him earlier in the week, actually, about that initiative effort that you mentioned, but we haven't connected on this on this shooting, although I understand that he has seen the, he had seen this video well before we had. And this is, you know, and the Taylor family's lawyer, James Bible, had seen it. And some of the public defenders who were involved in this inquest have seen it. They weren't the ones who gave it to me and they weren't at liberty to give it to me. But there is a small number of people out there who have seen this video and plan on using the fact that so much time elapsed before he received aid to in in the inquest. Because, you know, unlike the the internal investigation of the shooting, the inquest goes beyond whether or not the shooting itself was justified and examines all of the circumstances and causes that led to this person's death. And so for the people who will be defending the Taylor family or speaking on behalf of the Taylor family, that includes those seven and a half minutes. I, you know, I, I spoke with King County Sheriff John Urquhart about sort of general protocols on it. And he, you know, made the fair point that if an officer has fired at somebody, they are trained to shoot to kill. They're trained to shoot at the torso. And so the chances of that seven and a half minutes making a difference, I would, you know, it's all it's spe- speculation, but I would say are probably pretty low. I don't think he ever necessarily stood a chance. Again, though, that is not justification for not doing anything. Right. So the inquest actually, um, it, is it happening later this month? It begins at the end of this month. Yeah. And it's a six member, is it a jury that looks at this? Yeah, a six okay. member jury. All right. Well, I'm sure that we are going to hear more about this and particularly with the release of this video and kind of that being examined more closely as, and I've been, as we look at that. And I've been told that there are other 
interesting things that will come out as the inquest progresses. So definitely something to keep an eye on. All right. We'll follow up with you on that when uh, all of this happens here. David Croman, city reporter for Crosscut.com. You can see this story and also the footage at Crosscut.com. It is graphic, so a little bit of warning there. David, thanks for your insights and uh, good reporting here. This has been Reporter's Notebook. I'm Enrique Cerna. We'll talk more later. To hear more podcasts from KCTS 9 Digital Studios, visit kcts9.org slash podcasts.